0: cliffcentral.com
1: Okay, it is time for the Burning Platform, which, of course, is um, every Thursday morning we get to unpack all the big issues of the week. We're going to be joined this morning by two new guests on the show. Uh, Pumi, of course, is here with me, and we would uh, love to hear your comments, too, so make sure you leave a comment in the uh, youtube comment section also like and subscribe etc etc we need to do that so let's get cracking this morning we have some fresh meat this week on the burning platform with two guests who i'm very very happy to welcome to the show first of these is sheldon marias who is well known he's the assistant editor for breaking news at news 24 so no stranger to the audio world having been as a career journalist at eyewitness news and the occasional stand in stint on 702 sheldon it's nice to see you how are you
2: Fine, thanks to you, Gareth.
1: Good, good. Nice. nice to be on the platform. Thank you. Nice to have you here. We're also joined by John Endres, who is the new CEO of the Institute of Race Relations at the IRR. He's uh, previously worked for the friedrich naumann Stiftung and is one of the founding CEOs of the Good Governance Africa Advocacy Organization. It's very nice to see you, John, and thank you for joining us this morning, too. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. All right, listen, guys, there's so much to get into. I don't want us to waste a single second of this. Pumi is very excited. She always reads from cover to cover state capture reports, and she's got a nice pithy second edition to get stuck into. It came out two days ago. We still haven't completely digested I've the I've only personal. read one of three. Listen, you love it, Pumi. You're the Thank God you love it, because no one else could be bothered to read the thing. And it is fairly important. Um, it's easy for us to dismiss this and to say, well, look, Most of South Africa doesn't really care about what the contents of this report are. Most South Africans probably couldn't even tell you what the State Capture Commission was, even though it's getting quite a lot of airtime. We should be more interested maybe than we are. But there is interesting information in here. There are, of course, the recommendations, which is the part that everyone skips to first. But there's lots that's going on in the analysis. And in the facts of these state capture reports, which is probably more important, because that's where the real story is. You get to see who gets mentioned the most. You get to see which organizations deserve the lion's share of the blame. And South Africans also, maybe this is also a media fault, we tend to jump to conclusions, guys, and we tend to look for the easy scapegoats here. Everybody is now you know Jacob Zuma's the worst person in the world. The Guptas easy targets, and of course these these are people on on um, on the public radar, and they're also people who deserve a lot of the blame for what's happened. They were people who stole most of the money and put the the machinations in place in order for state capture to happen. But there are lots of other people that come out in these reports who we think. Uh, less about, and we mention less. And some of these are organizations that have enormous international credibility and should have a similar amount of blame laid at their door. I'm talking about the Baines, the McKinsey's. These are huge businesses that continue to make massive amounts of money from governments all over the world. Um, McKinsey, for example, I mean, I'm just, I'm appalled at how they drew up the blueprint for so much of this stuff. And they still have some cred in certain places. McKinsey should be hounded out of our country with whips and pitchforks and burning torches. And yet, they seem to have come out of this largely unscathed. They should be as much in the dog box as the Guptas and the Zumas. Don't you guys agree? Hmm. I think you can say that, yeah. Who wants to go first? John, you go. (laughs) <laughs>
3: okay, yeah, um, so I think you, you make a good point because the focus is very much on the on the government side of the um, the corruption and the shenanigans that went on um, during state capture, but of course there are always two parties to uh, a scandal like this and as in many cases in the past, I think we see that big business um, really demonstrates quite a low level of qualms about getting involved in these kinds of, of acts uh, and the McKinsey's and the Bain's have uh, been quite prominently mentioned in these reports um, I think some some large auditing companies will also um, finger at earlier stages of state capture mm-hmm. and what tends to happen then is that they uh, say that they'll do some internal investigations uh, maybe they'll they pay back some of the fees that they collected from the state uh, with interest um, and then they hope that that will absolve them. Mm. I don't know if that's quite enough uh, you know would that be enough if it were um, a, a smaller company or is it enough if it's a, a government department?
1: Yeah, good questions. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, there's not enough, enough curiosity around the answers. Uh, what do you think, Sheldon?
3: I agree,
2: um, I agree in 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 both your your um, characterization of it, John's description of it as well. That you know, corruption doesn't happen in a void. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's usually two parties in this in, in this instance uh, of, of state capture. There were numerous parties involved. And we had the, you know, McKinsey paying back uh, some of the money, uh, Bain is in the spotlight at the moment um, due to its, its, you know, the findings the that have come out against it. I think one of their uh, partners at the stage, you know, was simply relocated elsewhere, you know, um, and then yep. saying... You know, our findings, our independent findings were that, you know, all was above board. You know, nothing went wrong. It was this one person who happened to meet the president um, quite (laughs) a few times in a very short period of time. Um, And and there isn't enough, um, I suppose, there, there, there isn't enough action. While the coverage may be there, and and the media, by by you know by by all accounts, you know, means to also take some responsibility here because it's easy to focus on the political figures, on the Gupta figures. Hmm. Um, and while a lot has been done, you obviously need to hone in on that, you know, explain to people who these characters are, how it all happened, and why it was important in the concept of of state capture. And then there's obviously the prosecution, you know, there has to be some sort of, of of repercussions, whether it's judicial, uh, whether it's in, you know, some sort of uh, internal, um, sector, sector, uh, um, actions, but there has to be.
1: Yeah. I just, I, I look at the way that the, the business case for so much of what happened at, and obviously this, this part of the state capture commission is it, the, the reports is all about Denel, transnet, uh, other state owned enterprises. Um, a lot of the of the business case for state capture was made by these international consulting firms, and they seem to have become invaluable to the process. like none of it really could have happened if it was just bad apples in state captured you know sort of positions uh, comrades who'd been deployed to these positions, and a president who was who was greedy and a, a bunch of businessmen like the Guptas who were greedy. It also needed these guys in the middle. To oil the wheels, and I find that they seem to be getting the least share of people, people's um, ire, and they probably deserve a whole lot more. Pums, what do you think?
0: No, you, you know, I think that there's there's definitely a beginning of of the boil. Like mm. people are actually beginning to boil around these things. But I, I, and I'm so glad you're here with us, Sheldon, today because. Often we have these conversations and you mentioned it also about coverage and that media tends to then be beholden to that, the big names. And, and I'm wondering what happens in the newsrooms? It's nice to have somebody who actually like is in the newsroom in the behind the scenes, I'd love to hear what happens in the newsroom that when a report like this comes out and to the eventual stories that you pick, to put out there. So Pums, we're we're fortunate
2: enough in the sense that we have got a big enough team. So so just to I mean not, not to not to go too granular, but we've got a, a Fin twenty four team which looks after our finance and, and business and a lot of it as as has been mentioned are SOEs, are management consultants. It's it's really the the, the heart of business. We've also got um, a breaking news team, you know, your general news team and then an an in-depth team, you know, has a bit more time uh, and scope to to really dig into something like this. So we really are fortunate. And I think there are very few newsrooms in the country who've got that capability to say, okay, cool, let's take this report. Look, it's just dropped. There is a need to, to, to report on it in the moment. To say, look, reflect that the report has dropped. Mm-hmm. The broad overviews, broad brushstrokes, these are some of the, 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 the findings. And usually for that, you go to the recommendations page. Uh, you look at, you know, you, you scan the, 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 the glossary and you, you see which are, the, which, are the, which are the standout parts, right? And you'll have that go through. And you'll decide, look, is, how are we approaching from a financial angle, from a business angle? we're we approaching it from a more um news angle you know because stage capture is is so pervasive it's, it's not you know in in one sector um and then you'll you, you'll dig deep into it you know i think for us it's been our top story for the last two days um despite the report having come out um i think on on tuesday if i'm not mm. mistaken yes tuesday evening Despite the report coming out on Tuesday, there's so many fall, you know, pieces falling out. For instance, our political team, you know, Gwede Mantashe is named specifically by the commission, saying, you know, Jacob Zuma's bidding at at, at Transnet, I think for for, for Gama, um, was was championed, and Gwede Mantashe is named. You know, to say, by Mantashe and other ANC leaders at the time. Now, we know from the ANC's own history that Kwede Mantashe has been a key figure in almost every presidency, right? Right. So that creates a headache for President Cyril Ramaphosa. So we then look at what does this mean for Gwede Mantashe, right, in terms of the role he played. Um, so, so yes, there may not have been any money exchange, there may but all of this was a championing, a creation in the mind of the people that, you know, for instance, Sia Bonga Gama was the best person for the job when someone like Barbara Hogan patently said he is not,
1: yeah. you know,
2: so going into Sheldon. those elements. And exactly. We're fortunate enough, but not everyone is.
1: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm also glad we've got you on for a number of reasons. I, I obviously um, I've, I've followed you for many years and, you know, there's lots and lots of, of breakthrough stuff and you've been behind the scenes working hard on stories when you were just a reporter. And now obviously you have this responsibility at News 24, but I'm also interested in like the follow-up on these guys. Like where the hell is Siabonga Gama now? And what is he doing? And Which school do his, you know, not which school do his kids go to, because that's obviously the kind of information you don't want out there. But, like, what kind of a lifestyle is he leading? And and how can he have seemingly got away with having presided over a transnet that so blatantly stole money, made bad decisions, bought the wrong trains, and seemingly he's, I'm sure he's not living in poverty. I'm sure he's not uh, been, uh, been, been, Chased out of the public square. I'm sure that Siabonga Gama continues to live a fairly plush, comfortable, luxurious life. I want to know what his life is like right now, and I want to know how he got away with it, because he clearly has. And and no one's following up on that stuff. We need to know where he is. I, I've got a list of people. I want to know where Lynn. <laughs> I want to know where Lynn Brown is. I mean, where's Lynn fucking Brown? Where's Malusi Gigaba? Where, where's <laughs> Butab? Lamini, Faith Mutambi Des Van Royen? where are these people? Because They were all big news once, and now it seems they're just living the life of Riley. Yeah, Yeah, I think the the question is, Um, why
0: don't we see, why don't, you know, because that's what you get to do as a news um, Mm. paper or as the news outlet. You get to put in in lights the names of people that we should be paying attention to. Mm. But then it seems that you then quickly forget and move on to the next thing, and we don't get a follow-up. Why not?
2: Look, I think, I think to, to take that first one on the chin, I think we don't do enough, uh, as the media, and obviously as speaking as News24, we don't do enough follow-ups, you know, years down the line. You know, where, whatever happened to, to this person, it's mm-hmm. something we, you know, we try and do, and we definitely, you know, take, take, take that, that, that feedback. I mean, I had that same thought about Lynn Brown and, you know, no. reading the, 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 the story on her yesterday. So that's definitely something we can do better on. You know, um, one of the reasons we may not always get to it is just because the new cycle sure. just moves. So so some of those people are in Parliament. you, but know, I'll t- you in charge of, in of the new cycle. I'll guys. tell you what. Yeah, but, you but, are in charge of the new Sheldon, cycle. But Sheldon,
1: I mean, listen, it's also an opportunity because we know, wasn't it Siabonga yeah. Gama who were they, they went to a site where they were building a house for him. Was it him? And he, he got all aggressive and chased people away and threw rocks at the at the journalist. It was one of those guys at Transnet, as I recall, um, who, yeah, got, who got very yeah. defensive because he was building a huge and very expensive house on an extremely expensive piece of land in Pretoria. Now, I, I mean, there's, there's an opportunity here, obviously, because these guys are going to be horrified that you're still interested in them. And they may react very badly. And that itself becomes a news story. So there's some, there's some meat on the bones here. I'm just saying. Guys, uh
2: so like a true news editor, uh, Gareth, uh, <laughs> no, But I, I take I take the point, and I think it's 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 valuable uh, criticism um, of of how we sometimes. It's, quickly move on. When you forget about the sia Sierra Bonga gamma, I'm, I'm not, and today it's
1: let me someone else. You know? I'm, I'm not criticizing you, and, and the whole news cycle is not your responsibility, uh, Pums. I don't think that's fair. But <laughs> I, I do think <laughs> no, there's, there's, an there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. The media
0: is is in charge of the news cycle yeah. because yeah, get they what get to you, choose. Yeah, on the you internet. get to choose what we see and what we don't see, which mm. then also leads us to why don't we have the conversations about the banks? I mean, mm-hmm. all of these people.
1: They were banking. They were doing (laughs) banking. They
0: receive this money in bank accounts. They transact via bank accounts. And nobody is having a conversation about how complicit the banks in this country and internationally have
1: been. Absolutely.
0: In this entire state capture thing. I mean, you, Garrett, if you want to like do something at the bank, you almost have to produce your breathing grandfather in order to prove you are who you are. And yet why aren't we having that conversation
1: all right so John I want to ask you a couple of questions quickly um, first of all let's just talk you you've just taken over at the at the Institute of race relations you guys publish all kinds of interesting reports and um, I'm sure you have a, an, an agenda of things that you want to achieve there let me just ask you as an observer and someone who's been in in the NGO world you were with the uh, the Stiftung before this um, what what are your feelings on these coalition governments down the line? I've noticed that Action SA is falling apart just like COPE did uh, not so long ago. I know Herman Mashaba hasn't resigned from the party, but he's resigned as a member of the Joburg Council. We know Makwasi Kwasa has uh, got her problems with them at the moment. A lot of people who voted for Action SA must be feeling exactly like I felt when I voted for COPE all those years ago, when Bazimashiloa and... Um, and, and who, Monsieur um, uh, Le Corte, were busy fighting Tara! with each other. W- w- what's your take on, on Action SA and on coalition governments that we were all so hopeful would figure a way forward in these municipalities? What do you got to say about those?
3: Oh, this was great timing, Cliff, because I had a house alarm going off next door, just stopped. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take this
1: guy to come no
3: into the conversation. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I think firstly, the coalition governments, um, that is. Not just threading a needle, I think it's threading a whole series of needles trying to get them to work. And I think they've made it far further than we had any hope um, of expecting. Okay. Um, you know, the, for, you know for, for the DA-led coalition government to come into power in Johannesburg, I think, surprised them as much as anybody else. And that, that was a surprise. Um, then being able to get some of the votes through, despite all the, the shenanigans of the ANC and the EFF, Is quite impressive. Um, So they've threaded a few needles, but there's still a whole row of needles leading off into the distance that they still need to thread. Um, So far, they've done really well, I think, um, and I hope they continue doing so because they are a a pilot case, a a test case for what might happen in 2024. If um, these coalition parties manage to cobble together enough votes to challenge the ANC-EFF coalition at the polls. Um, so what they're doing, the importance of what they're doing, goes far beyond what happens in the cities, like Johannesburg and Swane and Ekurhuleni. It really has um, national importance. Um, mm-hmm. So we're watching very closely what's happening there. In the case of Action SA, um, I think it is too soon to write them off, um, but I do hear um, and also feel the echoes of the past in, in seeing some of the squabbles occurring within the party. Um, I sense that there are some differences of opinion between um, Herman Mashaba, maybe, and some other members of the party, uh, for example, around his uh, friendliness with the EFF, which I'm not sure everybody else in the Action SA shares. Um, it probably is not a bad idea to have promoted him out of Johannesburg um, city um, chambers into, uh, sorry, to the national level, um, where he really has an important role to play if Action SA wants to make a good showing in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, it might also allow the Johannesburg caucus to operate with a greater degree of cohesion um, and focus. So I think it's not entirely a, a, a bad thing what's happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, the scenes in Swane of the, um, I think it was, was it councillors or party members or a mix of the two squabbling were very um, ungratifying and undignified. And I think did the image of the party no good at all. Um, they did jump into damage control mode quite quickly And really now, you know, they they need to show that they are able to contain differences within the party and manage them in a democratic way without pushing, shoving and fighting. Hmm.
1: Um,
3: But yeah, I think the coalitions are very important and you you really need to watch them very closely.
1: So let's just be practical and sensible for a moment and not go for the uh, low-hanging fruit that is, you know, clickbait and and noise. Um, What is your outlook, guys, especially because... You know, we've got a budget coming up this month, and everybody's talking about how the p- price of petrols going up. Um, we've got increases in electricity costs. The average South African is going to be paying more for food. Uh, there are a whole lot of other costs that have crept in here. Um, obviously, the, the Minister of Finance is now also going to have to look at how much the government's taking in and how much they are, are short. So we're we looking at the economy more broadly and what is your outlook for the for the South African economy going forward, particularly when we when we look internationally at the at the state of affairs in places like the United States where inflation is about to take off and get very very messy and also end up costing the average consumer a huge amount more money their their savings if they have any will be worth less at the end of this year than they were at the end of last year and with coronavirus now firmly in the rear view mirror because I think it's, it's, it's a given now that people just don't care anymore. In South Africa, you could argue that parts of South Africa have never cared from the get-go. Um, what are your feelings on the economy, and, and what is your outlook for this year? If you were finance minister, what would you be thinking about? Sheldon, do you want to go first?
2: What would I be thinking about? <laughs> I'd, I'd really be thinking about how, how to – I think we've got a massive infrastructure problem um, besides ESCOM. Our water infrastructure is, mm-hmm. is, um, is creaking and about to, to go. Our roads, maybe not, well, there, there's the obvious, you know, in terms of potholes, but in terms of networks and the fragility of the, of the infrastructure, getting goods up from our ports to, to the rest of the country um, and having goods move around, especially because our rail system, you know, that's another infrastructure yes. problem. You know, so I would, I would get the infra. I would, I would look at how do we get infrastructure going, because without infrastructure, you know, you can't do anything, anything without water, electricities, being well, able, to, electricity being able to move your goods. All of that is, 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 is moot. You know, this is this if, is just
1: a this is just an observation. But you started on the expenditure part rather than the income part. I mean, <laughs> what? what do you think that the that the minister is toying with the idea and John I can see you smiling about this too pummy um toying with the idea of of increasing VAT increasing taxes um playing with the petrol price and those levies because obviously people are on the bones of their backsides at the moment we've got massive unemployment we've got all of these underlying problems in the economy that are not going away before we get to spending, which i think is a valid point that that sheldon's making especially in respect of infrastructure which we do need to look at the maintenance of infrastructure or the lack thereof is probably part of the reason we are where we are but what do you think about the income side of things and and what the minister may be plotting in terms of getting more of our money into his pocket
3: Mm. well i think if if you think of the old cartoons where sometimes the character would head into a canyon with narrowing walls Mm. um, and then finally get stuck we wouldn't be able to go forward and backwards. I think that's more or less the situation we find ourselves in in South Africa. Right. Um, because both the expenditure side is almost impossible to cut and the revenue side is very difficult to raise um, short of windfalls like we've experienced during the past year. Thanks to uh, thanks to strong demand for commodities. But I think otherwise, you know, the tax base is pretty much tapped out. Um, we saw some statistics. On the top two income categories in the, in the tax statistics, declining by around 10% number of taxpayers uh, in, in the past year. So I think on the revenue side, we're really pretty much stuck. On the expenditure side, there's not much we can do. And ultimately, the only way out of this mess is for the economy to grow. Because if you've got a growing economy, then you can collect more tax revenue. But that's another thing we haven't got. We've got a stagnant economy. Um, And so my expectation is for the finance minister, he's he's in that canyon. He's gone all the way in and now he's budged in there and he can't move left or right or go backwards or forwards. Um, And until we get some economic reforms that really um, trigger growth, uh, that's not going to change. So my expectation for this year and for the coming years is that our economic situation will be pretty dire. um, And most of the indicators that we're tracking, like infrastructure, like Sheldon said, and other indicators will continue to point in the same direction. It it takes reforms to get out of this. It's the only way
1: Poor me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've got more questions than answers.
1: Okay. Well, bring your questions. (laughs) Let's go. We've got two. We've got two gentlemen who are well-placed to answer these questions. This
0: morning, you know, we we, last week, we also spoke a little bit about this. And, and then at the end of the day, because the NPC was meeting, the first thing that came out of that meeting was interest rates Mm -hmm. yesterday, the petrol price and, and the, the, conversation about that is not going away. So it was a yeah. rumor in certain WhatsApp groups, Sheldon, I'm sure if I could see you, I'm sure you'd be nodding. You must be part of those WhatsApp groups. <laughs> but I, I and, and it's that rumors not going away. So the, I, I think we're all on tenterhooks around that. But a couple of days ago, I read about the loan. That remember we've been talking about this loan that South Africa has gotten
1: yeah it's a, a from 11, eleven billion rand I think it is
0: and and you know Sheldon, you speak about where we need to be spending, just in terms of infrastructure, which everybody agrees we need to you know we need to do the upgrades that we need to to maintain in a lot of places, and then the rail network we do we have to have an entire overhaul, and I was horrified to find that the bulk of that loan is to pay subscriptions, pay for subscriptions to all our various kind of like the UN subscriptions and all of these various councils that we sit in. I am blown away. And that was just, you know, and I haven't read... A lot more about that. And I haven't seen many more people making a big noise about that because I think that is important because that means there is a lot more that we're not being told by our government, that we're not hearing about what's happening. That loan, Mm. guys, and the, the thing about the World Bank and those kinds of loans is the fact that when you fail to pay them back, which we are on a trajectory that says we are going to, the first places they ask you to cut your spending is in places like education mm-hmm. in your country the first places where they ask you to cut are actually the places that we desperately need in order to be able to grow our country to grow our economy to have any chance of ever being able to repay any of those loans so i'm just saying you know
1: yeah that There's loan, a lot more here that know, we're not people people I, mean, I think it was enoch Godongwana who said oh no there are no conditions attached to this loan <laughs> you know, like like, so, like someone someone just come along in the World Bank or the IMF or whoever—it's a
0: loan, not a grant.
1: Know, that's the point. They don't give you anything without having some conditions attached, and the the most basic condition is you're going to have to pay this back at some point. So it puts us in hock, mm. and you know you you the the person who's owed the money eventually ends up dictating the terms. So what do we have to look forward to there, John? And and why why the hell are we paying subscriptions to international organizations that don't seem to do terribly much for us?
3: Yeah, I mean, that that loan was so weird. Um, I read the the, the press release when it was announced, and I was trying to figure out what the money was for. Um, Mm. But the press release said it was for infrastructure development, for the economic reconstruction, for COVID relief, (laughs) to fight climate change. And it was a list of what, you know, six things. And you're like, but, you know no. what, what is this for? And um, what also concerned me about it is that we've already got this very high debt burden in South Africa as a, as a nation. Mm-hmm. We're adding to that debt burden. We're making it higher. And in a way, you can justify it if you say this is a low-interest loan and you do like what you do when you do your, you know, your debt consolidation. You take all your expensive debt and you pay it off with cheaper debt. So your interest rate comes down. Mm-hmm. That's what we could have done with that loan. Take those 11 billion Rand at low interest and use it to pay off some of the expensive debt. It would have brought our our interest um, uh, load down. Um, I mean, it was a relatively small amount in the greater but, context. But, of, but you uh, mentioned of
1: you, you mentioned something else, like governments have learned, and Sheldon, you brought up infrastructure, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to blame you for this, but governments have also <laughs> learned, and thanks to the, the the U.S., I mean, they're doing this with that um, Build Back Better bill, which hasn't been passed and which is unlikely to be passed because they're, they're two Democrat senators who are just not going to be swayed because they come from purple states. Um, that whole bill was also sold to the, the public or sold to Congress as a an infrastructure plan. Infrastructure seems to be a word that includes things that have nothing to do with bridges, pipes, electricity, all the things that actually are infrastructure. Infrastructure <laughs> seems to be this very infrastructure seems to be a very convenient category for big government to spend on all kinds of third rail projects that they're interested in. And that's precisely what we see happening here, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Before you answer, Sheldon, I don't have many uh, Margaret Thatcher favorite quotes, but this one is one of my favorites, that, you know, governments talk about infrastructure where the rest of us just drive on roads.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's true. Yeah.
0: It's, true. it's,
2: it's uh, you know, you've distilled it quite, quite, quite perfectly. It's roads, it's bridges, it's, you know, it's, it's things that get your, your water. Um, I think, you know, where, where there's a stimulus problem, you know a creation of an infrastructure bill is government's hope that you know through spending we will we will grow the economy because you're, you know you're hoping that businesses well, legally.
0: It's
2: win, stimulus. Win, when when tenders, yes, and, and stimulate the economy through other means as opposed to the, through the, well, in the US's case, through the Fed, you know, this is through government spending. It's large oh, spending. So trickle
0: down effect. Come. What, huh. what, what you hope for is but that there's a, a trickle down it, effect. It's mm-hmm. a hope.
2: It's a hope.
1: You know well um, I'm just I, I'm stage. tired of hearing this what government need to do if they want to stimulate the growth that John's talking about is get out of the fucking way I mean why are we still having this conversation we have so much red tape if you want to start a business if you want to employ people it's so damn difficult at the moment in South Africa that no one wants to they'd rather do it across the border either in you know Botswana or Namibia or Frankly, Zimbabwe at this point, because you probably have less red tape involved. And if not that, you, you start your business by registering it in Mauritius so you don't have the tax burden that South Africans have to put up with. So there's a no-win situation for people who are the only people empowered to start the economy up and to grow it, small business owners. Big business? Is already in league with government. We know that, right, John? Just nod your head if you agree with me. Big business in league with government. Yes, Cliff. The the, the trade unions in league with government. We, we're hemmed in by all these people who say they're going to manage the economy, and they have already proven over the last twenty years that they cannot manage this economy. Get out of the way. Let small businesses do their thing. That's the only way we'll grow it. That's the only way we'll be able to pay for all your bloody thieving. Well, I think
3: somebody needs to speak up in defense of infrastructure <laughs> because I, I, I do love infrastructure. I think it's wonderful. And I love railways. Right. and Let it be you know, you. Water networks. Let
1: it be you, John. Go ahead. Get, yes. it, and infrastructure get it. Get
3: it. Is great. Exactly. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, so there was a, a very good report in 2005 from the Free Market Foundation called Habits of Highly Effective Countries. Hmm. And I recommend that you go and read it. You would expect that the Free Market Foundation, doing its research, is going to come to the conclusion that uh, the state should do pretty much nothing, and you know the private sector should do pretty much everything, and that is sort of a very you know market-friendly way of looking at things. I'm very sympathetic to that, but what they did find is that there are a couple of areas where state spending can actually improve economic growth, which is ultimately the the outcome that you want. And one of those areas is infrastructure, another is health, and another is education. So you know if you if you're getting bang for buck in those areas, that does actually pay for itself, um, but um, you know, as as I think, Sheldon pointed out, this is not quite the situation we're in. Um, we have this very strong suspicion, as South Africans of long standing, that large amounts of money being spent on infrastructure are going to end up in the wrong pockets, and we're going to end up with bad infrastructure. You know, they're going to save on the tar, they're going to save on the trains, they're going to buy the wrong size of trains. The power plants will be too big, and they won't start working. And we see it across the board. You know, right. we're spending so many billions on infrastructure, which is not getting very good value for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know that's a sign of just State dysfunction, really, in South Africa.
1: All right, let's look at, um, let's look at some other things, because I brought this up with Pumi this morning. There's the census going around. Now, I'm, I'm never excited. Going around. Well, it's starting today, right, Pumi? <laughs> like, we can, we can fill it in online, if we want to uh, fill it in online, or we can wait for them to come knocking on the door. I'm extremely suspicious of anybody wanting more information, about me than they already have. SARS has got all the information they need, as far as I'm concerned. My municipality knows that I'm a voter in this district. That's all they need to know. Now, Pumi is trying to convince me that this is a good idea because she works, you know, explain your your situation with the KZN villages and the water that you're arranging for them, and you work with NGOs, and you need this information, the census information, so that you can figure out How many people live in this area and how many people you need to figure into the equation? But I don't like...
0: Talk about that infrastructure planning. How many schools?
1: Okay, fair enough. But I don't like the idea that somewhere in all of this census stuff is written... And Pumi only dropped this in right at the end. She says, oh, but you have to comply. It's like the police. If they come knocking on your door, you have to let them into your house. So do I have to do this and should I be suspicious of it or am I just being rebellious and childish?
0: Childish. I've had and my, my goal, guys. You, I've had my okay. you, you, you. It's your turn to try and convince him.
3: And <laughs> might, my, my two cents is that um, in addition to being a lover of infrastructure, I also love data and statistics. Um, you may know the Institute of Race Relations publishes a 900-page compendium of stats on South Africa every year. Um, it's an amazing thing, and that wouldn't be possible if you didn't do data gathering, including in censuses. Um, also, when I was with Good Governance Africa, we used to do African statistics, and it was always terribly disappointing when you got the statistics from a country, you saw that would last been updated in 1970, and you're like, but hell, we don't even know how many people live in that country. You, know, you don't even properly know the size of the economy, you don't know how well they're doing, you don't know anything about them, and, and that's very disappointing. Do do want to know things about the world, mm. so and I'm taking so part same. in the census for that, you know, because I, I benefit from what they're doing.
1: Sheldon, what, 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 what do you say? And
0: and Palilula were actually quite instrumental mm-hmm. in creating an Africa-wide statistics council, so that there were more censuses done. Censuses done yeah. across the continent, and and so that we are able to. Even last week I was saying because what, what we actually want, what growing a South African economy looks like is it also looks like all our neighbors being functional so that we can grow mm. the number of people that are available to be customers and consumers and business partners. And that's what we need. And statistics is part of how all of that happens.
1: Sheldon, any <laughs> okay, com- Sheldon. anything you want to add to the census? I mean, have, have you already gone on and put your info in?
2: I, I wouldn't go go so far as as, as calling you names yeah um, so, so let me just put that that out there I mean <laughs> I think you know no, but on a serious okay you serious, can come
0: back on the show yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, on a, on a, I think it, 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 it is indicative of, of you know uh, privacy of of our of our information and as you, see, you know government has enough of our information yeah. Um. Although, and and now I'll be the, you know, the the, the newsman who sits on the fence, although, you know, we do, we've got a dearth of data in in South Africa and Africa, and we need to fill those holes for us to build on top of that. I think there's a lot that we simply don't know because we we, we have a lot of people who are either, you know, are are, are away from centers where naturally data and technology gather you know, and, and hence are unseen. And I think that's that for me is the important part. You know, as we said, you know, so you could understand how many schools we need in a certain area, um, and, and other type of projects within limits, you know, and, and in terms of you know what what people feel that government is sharing with them, you know. Um, I think there's a there's a genuine concern in this in the age that we're in about you know what's being done with all this information. How much do they have about it? How much, why do they need all of this?
0: Um, Although I do want to say, you know, Gareth, one of the things that even with the comment that we saw this morning when we were talking about the census and the information gathering mm-hmm. is what, what you are displaying and what you're showing is you're showing the kind of breakdown in trust that the South African populace actually has with our government and this is this is the the blowback of things like corruption of things like non-delivery of things like not not holding the executive accountable people not being you know on, on not having justice delivered on many different levels whether it's with corruption or whether it's with crime itself what 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 this is 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 indicative of that is there is a a fundamental breakdown in our society Mm. of what we believe in, in in our government will can should do and what our part of that contract is you see by not upholding their part of the contract what they what they have done yeah is on the other side People like you and all yeah, of the
1: comments I, I, that I don't, want to, I that don't got, want to help anymore. Yeah,
0: that, that's what it is. Well, it's, it's a breakdown of that contract, I, and I, and unfortunately, what that is is it also then shows that the rock and the hard place, yeah. or that narrowing. <laughs> I think the, the it's it's a, a really lovely analogy. That narrowing passage mm-hmm. is really where we are. We're we're so far down that that line because it is a
1: well, John. It is a two way. You sent this to me. I feel. You know, I feel somewhat reprimanded by the three of you, but um, here's a book that, that John actually has alerted me to by Morton Jervin, <laughs> which is called Poor Numbers, How We Are Misled by African Development Statistics and What to Do About It. So this is a book that anyone who's interested in this subject may want to read, and thank you for sending that to me, John. I'll have a look at that um, because, again, if we're not going to get the right information, how are we going to be able to address the problem? Fair enough. I'm, I'm going to consider myself reprimanded. Okay, so couple of other things on the agenda. Let's just talk about oh, that. not
0: reprimanded. No, it? no, no, no. It's you right. Know, it's have
1: fine. We, have I, I, we swayed Pum, you? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hurt by <laughs> He's this. He's more I'm, <laughs> enlightened. Yeah. I'm, there we go. Uh, you guys are all number crunchers. You enjoy this. So I, uh, you're, you're better at this than me. And I'll take Also, I'll where take do we word. find
0: that 900-page compendium?
1: Yeah. Well, there um, we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pumi wants to read it from cover to cover. That's how she is. Can we get it off your website, John?
3: Um, yes, you can get it off the Center for Risk Analysis website, um, mm-hmm. CRA-SA.com. Um, I'll pop a link in the in the chat. Maybe you All can right. put that up somewhere.
1: I will put it up. Um, let's just talk about the Chief Justice job for a second, because that seems to be um, everyone's obsession at the moment. I was quite impressed by uh, Judge Meyer, who's the Judge President of the Supreme Court of Appeal yesterday. Saying I'm impressed by a judge is something that we don't want to hear people saying too much. In South Africa, (laughs) judges should be kind of just in the background doing their thing, getting on with it. But the judiciary has become a part of the national conversation, whether it wants to or not. Recently, the comments by Lindy Wesisulu have dragged the judiciary into places that perhaps they shouldn't be involved in. And this is also a contentious area. If judges shut up about politics in return, we will not criticize their judgments or them personally. And we will. It's kind of a bargain that we have with the judiciary. But do you guys have any point of view? Our last Chief Justice was political and said quite a lot. Uh, it happens to be a lot of stuff that we might agree with in this case, but it could quite easily go the other way. might end up with an... Today! Act- we, we could end up... Today
0: is the deadline for him to apologize. You remember yes, a couple of correct. weeks ago there was today is the deadline. So is he going to apologize?
1: It could quite easily go the other way. If we have an activist chief justice and that chief justice ends up mouthing off about everything political, it does put the judiciary in a very awkward position and something which they perhaps shouldn't be involved in. Now, what are your feelings on the on the choice of chief justice and not just on the person who takes the job, but on what that job entails and whether we should be Changing the nature of that job, the constitution's very clear about what a chief justice is there to do. But more and more things seem to have been added to that in an era of state capture. What do you guys feel about that? And we'll start with you, Sheldon.
2: Gareth, I think I think that the, the role needs the role needs leadership, and I don't and I don't just mean that you know superfluously or in the, in the general sense, but based on what you said and, and our you know our most recent chief justice. Um, because you're not just speaking up for yourself, mm. right? And I mean, some people even raised um, the Deputy Chief Justice or Acting Chief Justice Raymond Zondo's press conference in reaction to, to, to Lindy Wezulu as, as raising it as one such action to say, should, should you be doing that? Because you're not only making your job harder, but the people that you ultimately lead in so that their judgments are called into question and we know you know you, there are certain sec- sections of, of our society who you know as soon as a judgment goes against them all oh, the, the the judiciary as a whole is tainted there's yeah. there's you know there's, there's cash exchanging hands but if it goes in, in their favor you know oh great great judge so so I think I think that the, 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 the whoever the chief justice is, has to be aware of that, has mm-hmm. to be aware of some of the limitations that certain positions bring with the office that you occupy. You know, you can't necessarily mouth off on something, yes, that you may feel strongly about, but if it's outside of your purview or if, it's, if it, if it will have the impact of having, bringing into question all the people who work under you, you know, for, for what you've done, is, is, is I think is, is somewhat short-sighted. Um, If it's defending the integrity of the body, I think that, you know, you've got more leeway and more scope. Mm. Um, And I think the judiciary has come to play such a critical role in saving South Africa, as we've seen in the in the last uh, 10 years.
1: Yeah. So so that
2: certainly, I think, has, has elevated the position. But in doing that. It's not a, a free for all, you know. He can't just go out and mouth. a If you'd ask people,
1: if you'd ask people who Arthur Chaskilson was back in, I don't know, nineteen ninety-five, six, they would have probably not been able to answer you. And he was a great chief justice. He was our first chief justice. Maybe they would have recognized him from the swearing-in ceremony of Nelson Mandela. But he never commented on politics, and I thought that maybe that was a better model. Obviously, you know, as state capture rolled round it was it was incumbent on everyone in the various branches of government to state that they were for or against. And Chief Justice Mukwing Mukwing, to his credit, uh, took a stand. But I don't know if that's what we want as the dirigeur policy of, of any chief justice. What do you say, John?
3: Well, I think, you know, we, the separation of powers is very, very important in mm. making a democracy work. Um, inevitably there will be some blurring of the boundaries between the the politics and the legal system i think that really can't be avoided so is that noise coming from me yeah it is it okay is. Um, but it is a in, in a way it is a fiction that you can maintain complete neutrality and and isolation of the legal system from the politics can't really do that but i think it is important to maintain that fiction and to come as close as possible to the ideal and in that sense, I think it is better if judges refrain from commenting on the politics, because just consider the situation where, you know, a case comes before a judge who has made pronouncements that lead the one the one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be worried about whether that judge was going to give you a fair trial and a fair hearing. And um, so judges really need to reign above mm-hmm. the fray. And I think they do need to stay out of the politics. Um, It's not
0: just the um, politics. It's not just the politics. Judges should refrain from drawing any type of attention to themselves and their views Mm. on anything, not even Mm -hmm. Big Brother, because cases might come before them. Mm -hmm. And and when you have been publicly cited as stating a particular thing, it is very difficult for us to then believe that Mm. you have been impartial, that you have weighed the, the merits of the case against the law. Yeah. That's just, and, and was just, I mean, you know, I think
3: Jacob Zuma used this a couple of times, didn't he? Yeah. He would sort of ask for judges to recuse themselves mm. because he thought he wasn't going to get a, a fair trial because, you know, they'd said something about Zuma in the past. And it's I think the DCJ guiding light James always has to be the law.
0: Trying. It's DCJ that he was trying, and now it's the advocate yeah. that he's trying exactly. to get right. out of yeah. the case. But I mean, it's yeah. it's just, and and that is, it, it is for that reason that I think there is still a certain level of decorum that that goes with the with particular professions and you know sometimes you know social media fame is not what you are looking for it's just just sometimes we all want to be a TikTok sensation
1: so yes. so i've i've driven this agenda on these these points quite hard but you guys obviously have things that you want to talk about so uh, in the last sort of ten minutes or so, Sheldon, what what are you guys interested in in your newsroom at the moment, and and what are the the stories that you feel need to get more attention and and that the public are most interested in?
2: Gareth, I think the the one that, that that's come to to light, and we saw it with a you know return of of well, as you you know put it, the the um you know the de facto ending of 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 COVID, you know, with mm-hmm. back to schools, you know lighter restrictions and the like, right. I think, is the return to schools and the impact that it's had. I mean, there was a fascinating report that that's come out and, um, you know, we reported on it this morning, but there's a whole lot more work to do this. there's getting onto the ground as well. Um, I think the return to school is so important and so fundamental to to to, to the fabric of society that what you've seen is potentially what you've seen is and if, a further widening of that gap between the haves and the have-nots. You know because due to you know access to technology, access to resources, uh, better better facilities, better teachers. You know private schools have carried on. Private schools and and, and you know your 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 former model C schools in in um, you know in suburbs have. have, have have Carried on by and large, and I think it's a, a you know you could you could grade these things, you know. But what they're starting to find, for instance, one of the one of the the, the findings out of the study done by uh, Professor Nick Spall and his team is is that ten year olds in twenty twenty one, and the survey was done in the same school, ten year olds in twenty twenty one know less than nine year olds did in twenty eighteen. You know, and that's just one indication of the impact of COVID nineteen, and then obviously the subsequent handling of the education system. You know, they've been called for quite some time to end rotational uh, teaching. You know, instead of going to school on every second day, you know, have all have all the kids go back and and rather work yeah. on. Getting well, protection.
1: I mean, you brought it up, Sheldon, but I want to just refer back to something that I, I put up on the screen mm. earlier that Johns Hopkins University's just put out a new study that's concluded global lockdowns have had a much more detrimental impact on society than they've produced any benefit, with researchers urging that they're ill founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy statement. This is not surprising to me. I was anti-lockdowns from the beginning. Are we going to get an apology from all the media organisations that were touting this as a solution to all of our problems and were hugely pro-lockdown from the b- beginning? Even political parties, Sheldon. It's not just you yeah. guys in the media. And I, I use that I, I use that brush broadly. Obviously, you know, you, yeah. you may have had yeah. pers- you may have had personal opinions that were different. But are <laughs> we going to get apologies from? All the political parties, including the DA, who suddenly just before the municipal election said they were against lockdowns, but up to then had been completely with the ANC and all the other parties, massively supportive of lockdowns. All the media organizations telling us this is a good thing, getting experts on who would back that position. Now that we can look with the benefit of hindsight at this situation and see how damaging it was. You cite the the situation with school kids masks, all this ridiculousness that has put people back and has ruined lives and has caused job losses in the hundreds of thousands. Are we going to get anyone going back and saying, okay, maybe we got this wrong?
2: Gareth, I think you know the 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 answer to that. I think it's it's I, I don't think there's going to be much introspection. Let's yeah. let's be honest. And where there is, you know, people may say and and all of those groups that you mentioned. It was worth you know, the right? try. Saying, look,
1: it was worth. It was try. yes. At
2: the time, this is what we you know what what we thought. We've now we've now learned. We've learned more and, we, you know, we know how this disease impacts people and, and you know, we're, we're, how to balance balance of the, the, mm. the, the health risks with any other risks that you that you may have. So I, I doubt that. But I do think it is going to be fascinating and interesting and
1: key for
2: us to unpack that, to say, look, you know, if this does happen again and, and you know, there's been scientific do you, research.
1: Do you think that this is Does fe- well. do you think this has affected your business? Um, Do you think that the news business has lost credibility broadly? You know, if we watch TV news, there were all this alarmist stuff that was going on every night about the number of cases, which clearly in retrospect didn't matter. It was the number of deaths that we were really interested in. Hmm. Do you think there's going to be a cost to the media business in general in terms of credibility?
2: Look, what I I think… I think credibility will, will, will may well be you know you may need longer to to, to, to to see that that impact. I do think though that what has happened is I think people have been have been have been overburdened with the the, the negative news and, mm. and by negative i mean you know whether it 's reporting factually on death and and things that were key to report on so that you see. You you almost see trends following lockdowns and COVID, and once once COVID is 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 is, is, is no longer a factor. So let's say you're in fa- you're in you're in level one, you know, and, and uh, our um, transmission there. rates are really low, and and life is open and flowing again. People want to go back to normal, and yeah. I think anything else is almost blocked out so i mm-hmm. do think from that perspective you can very much see the trends and you you know the data and the analytics all right. of
1: it of it all i promise i didn't bring you on here to have to uh, to drag you through that stuff there was other stuff that we've covered that was much more important <laughs> no. but but john before no, before we shut down this conversation and we've got like a couple of minutes left what are, what are your chief prerogatives at the irr and what are you most interested in in terms of current affairs news research at the moment
3: Well, I think in in terms of our our research agenda, what we're really interested in is uh, to continue to understand the South African environment and to come up with policy proposals that can help us get out of this narrow canyon that we're stuck in. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of of a personal interest, um, and I think also an organizational interest, we're really looking at the global stage quite intensely um, in terms of very high asset prices in the United States. Bond prices are high, house prices are high, equities are high. But if you look at – the consumer sentiment, uh, there was a, a, a survey from the University of Michigan that came out this week, it's actually pretty low. And I think the reason for that is that American consumers are sensing that these markets are all too high, mm. and many of them are actually not invested in those asset markets. So they're being left behind by this increase in value. Um, that is a bubble, and that bubble is going to burst at one at some point, I think. And it's probably going to burst when um, rising interest rates drive down the, the value of those assets. And so this is sort of the big storm that we're seeing on the horizon and that makes us worried about South Africa because we, uh, our captain of the, the, the ship seems to be carousing on the deck instead of no. looking ahead to see what's coming and, you know, battening down the hatches and doing all the other things that you have to do on a ship when a storm is coming.
1: Well, the captain of the ship is, is is certainly not someone who Pumi likes to hold in high esteem. She's a regular critic of our captain <laughs> of our ship. Ah, not you, Pums. No, Never. Um, and and I think a lot of people are just disappointed in this guy. He's just so average at everything. Cyril is just such an ordinary, ordinary person. And I, you know, we love to demonise Jacob Zuma, and and I'm afraid that too many people in the beginning of his tenure thought they could lionise Cyril Sir, Sir Ramaphosa. He is just the most ordinary person that you could possibly wish to have in that job. He's done nothing impressive whatsoever. He squandered opportunities through COVID and through taking over the ANC. And, and and Pums, I know this is how you feel. Do you want to add anything else before we wrap it up?
0: But Cyril still gets very good reviews, hey? From people still write people still write good stories about Cyril, still have a good story yeah. to tell. Who? He Even still gets so so yeah. Cyril still gets favorable reporting. Cyril still gets for doing, favorable for, doing polling. for doing what? Cyril still well, that, listen or for easy. not for not Don't doing it for not doing anything sure. Don't shoot the messenger okay.
1: <laughs> for, being, for, being, for being a place for being a placeholder I mean but,
0: and and the fact that there are still quite a lot of people who still view Cyril as is the best option
3: yeah you must see the favorability ratings in our polling. Cyril is the mm. most popular politician in South Africa by far, so 60% favorability, much higher than the ANC. And one mm. theory of why this is, is because people think that Cyril is the one protecting them from the government.
1: Hmm. In and
3: the land, all the rest of the government is terrible and the party is terrible and there's only Cyril holding the fort. He's the only one protecting in us. In the
1: He's land of the him. blind, the one-eyed is king. This is what we've come yeah. to. Good Lord. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. Sheldon, I really appreciate your time. John, it's great to, to have you on for the first time. Both of you, I'm sure we, we haven't heard the last of, of either of you. And please keep doing the good work that you're both doing in your, in your various ways, shapes, and forms. Just to throw this in because John did send me the link. If anyone is interested in that huge report, me this is especially for you. Here is the web address, cra-sa.com, and you can find the IRRs report. There we go. Pumi's already there. You see, she's such a, she is such a stats nerd. She's going to go and look at this. Pumi's already filled in her census information. Um, so if you want to join her, you can do that too today. Uh, very much a a pleasure to have Sheldon Marias and John Endress on this morning. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Pumi. And we will see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. bright and early. Cheers.